Welcome into the Surviving Paradise podcast. We are back for another week. And again, I want to start off by saying thank you. Have loved all of the personal notes, all the notes on YouTube, all the DMs. You people are amazing. Appreciate all the encouragement to keep going with what is really just a passion project. As I stated from the first episode, it's time to start helping other people avoid the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses. And so that's what this is all about. Ron Organic, as I come to you late at night on a Monday evening from the West Coast. And there was a subject that I wanted to tackle this week that I think is a popular one. And it has to do with the Jehovah's Witness endgame. It's all about the endgame with Jehovah's Witnesses. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, what is the end game? Well, my fellow apostates, or just those interested in learning about the Jehovah's Witness, quote, religion, unquote, the end game for Jehovah's Witnesses is always all about getting saved from Armageddon. And depending on how much of a Bible reader you are, and you probably don't need to really be one, the term Armageddon is a popular one. It is the end of the world. It is mass destruction. It is genocide at its finest by the God of love, Jehovah himself <laughs> and his son, Jesus Christ, as well as all of those that oppose Jehovah's Witnesses. Isn't that interesting? Even those that may not just simply be a Jehovah's Witness or know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, guess what? There's a fireball with your name on it. <laughs> it's coming at Armageddon. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the specifically the teaching with Jehovah's Witnesses that only Jehovah's Witnesses, yes, only Jehovah's Witnesses are saved from this catastrophic universe-altering event known as Armageddon, where God, at the hands of his son, Jesus Christ, and his pals, the faithful and discreet slaves, some of which are up in heaven now. And then, of course, there's the eight great guys in upstate New York when they condemn the rest of us to death. And they do indeed teach that only Jehovah's Witnesses will survive this catastrophic event. And you think, okay, so what's interesting about this? What's interesting about this is that if you approach a Jehovah's Witness today, and you ask just a common Jehovah's Witness, and I think I've established at this point that it's my belief that the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses do not study, do not read their own literature. The greater part of them have never even read the Bible. But if you were to ask them, look, you're coming to my door. You've got your book carts. You're out here telling us that we need to be like you or we're all going to die. Is that really true? I mean, imagine that dynamic, they, the nerve of us to even have a podcast or discuss this for a group of people that on any given weekend will just slap a necktie on and a neatly pressed dress, you sisters, and go out to a complete stranger's door in a random neighborhood, go up, knock on the door with a message that goes essentially something like this. We're right. You're wrong. And if you don't become one of us, you're going to die. <laughs> that is essentially the message with a whole bunch of frosting and rainbows attached to it to make it look a little nicer, a little more digestible. However, I digress. Getting back to the point, Jehovah's Witnesses 
are openly playing an endgame, trying to get as many Jehovah's Witnesses into their faith before this great day of Armageddon and everyone is wiped out. However, the interesting part is, if again, if you asked a common Jehovah's Witness, are you really the only people that are going to be saved from this mass destruction? You will very likely get a, well, no, 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 no. Jehovah reads hearts. He knows the heart, which begs a litany, an avalanche of questions regarding Jehovah's Witnesses. If they are playing the end game, but they don't really believe the end game matters, why are they playing the game at all? (laughs) And that is what we want to unpack here. So let's start with a premise here. Jehovah God, as the Bible, of course, is from him, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, inspired by his hand. At 1 John 4.18, and a new international version reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Those are Jehovah's words himself, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. 1 John 4.18, again, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I ask you, friends, as we start this little visit, and hopefully you've got an adult beverage, a coffee, you're kicking back, whatever the case may be, What is Armageddon about if it is not about fear? (laughs) How does does that even remotely coalesce with a God who claims that he is the epitome of love, who says there's no fear in love, who says that fear just has to do with punishment? Then Armageddon. Very, very strange from the outset. And if you're confused, just know that I've stayed, as I've stated many times on this podcast, I'm going to talk a lot about my own confusion from the time I was a little guy in the 70s up through teenage years in the 80s and then becoming an elder in the 90s and a good chunk of the 2000s before I left the religion. These were all the types of things that if you're somewhat of a deep thinker or maybe you're just someone who's randomly thinking about it, that, that pop into your mind. The very interesting thing is that Jehovah's Witnesses and their entire existence is around preaching and supposedly saving us all from Armageddon. But if you ask them again, if it's really true that no one but they, the Jehovah's Witnesses, are going to be saved, do they, do they, excuse me, backing up, do they really believe that? And they will tell you, no, they don't. Again, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Jehovah himself is a reader of hearts. So, I will say from the outset that this really falls under that category of what I would call Jehovah's Witness urban myths. And there are lots of them. This is one of those things that they use to console themselves when they have to actually contemplate what's going to be the biggest chunk of our visit on this podcast tonight, which is a long series of questions that absolutely do not back up not only Armageddon, but that Jehovah's Witnesses are the only ones to live through it and why the hell they're even bothering with it in many cases. They tell themselves these things to make themselves feel better, but at the same time, ironically, eagerly anticipating the rest of us being melted like the Nazis at the end of the first Indiana Jones movie. (laughs) 
But here's a fact, and it is backed up by the billions of pages. Make no mistake, they believe only Jehovah's Witnesses will live. Every other human being is subject to genocide. They'll dance around it, and again, they'll claim God's reads hearts, so no reason to worry, but it's a lie. Once again, it's in print, billions and billions of printed pages that state the exact opposite. So from that premise, no, Jehovah's Witnesses are playing an endgame. It's all about saving people from Armageddon, at the same time out of one side of their mouth saying, but don't worry too much about it, even though I'm preaching and have completely destroyed my life doing this. God is the reader of hearts. Nonetheless, I'm really looking forward to Armageddon. It is a confusing, disturbing, and pretty typical cognitive dissonance bowl of soup that you're going to find in cults and most especially you're going to find in Jehovah's Witnesses. If you're not a Jehovah's Witness when Armageddon hits, you're dead. Here's some proof. Taking a look at just a couple of my favorite quotes over the years from the Watchtower or from, again, the faithful and not-so-discreet slave, which we covered in a past episode. Quote, Watchtower, 2014, August 15th, page 21. I'm sorry, quote, in effect, Jesus also conveys Jehovah's voice to us as he directs the congregation through the faithful and discreet slave. Eight guys in upstate New York. We need to take this guidance and direction seriously for our everlasting life depends on our obedience. Must obey those eight guys in New York or else our everlasting life is on the line. Watchtower 2001, June 1st, page 16. Quote, is it presumptuous of Jehovah's Witnesses to point out that they alone have God's backing? Actually, not more so than when the Israelites in Egypt claimed to have God's backing in spite of the Egyptians' belief, or when the first century Christians claimed to have God's backing to the exclusion of Jewish religionists. You see, we're setting the stage here. What every Jehovah's Witness has pounded in their head, every meeting, every publication, we've talked about this a million times, and we'll always have to come back to it, is strict obedience to the faithful and discreet slave, the governing body, eight guys in upstate New York. Watchtower of 1983, February 15th, page 12. Similarly, Jehovah is using, God, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> I was the Watchtower conductor for eight years, and that word, similarly, is at the beginning of so many paragraphs, and it is the most annoying word. I had to get that off my chest. I hate it. Similarly, Jehovah is using only one organization today to accomplish his will. To receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise we must identify that organization and serve God as part of it, end quote. Watchtower of 1989, September 1st, page 19, and I promise this is the last one for a few minutes. Quote, only Jehovah's Witnesses, those of the anointed remnant and the great crowd as a united organization under the protection of the supreme organizer, have any scriptural hope of surviving the impending end of this doomed system dominated by Satan the devil. End quote. I'm obviously going to reference throughout this convo several more quotes from them because you simply have to comprehend and understand the strange depth 
of their belief, not only in Armageddon, a mass genocide of every living, breathing person that doesn't agree with them, but the fact that they're also hopeful that God will read hearts and they don't really believe it. It's strange. And it's one of the finest examples or one of the best examples of cognitive dissonance that really lives and breathes among their ranks. And it's overwhelming. But as promised, one of the reasons I enjoy the Surviving Paradise podcast and one of the real reasons I started it was just to share how it affected me over the years. So I want to take a look at what this one belief or doctrine, although it's got lots of different facets to it, how it affected my brain, my mind over the years. How did this teaching impact me? And again, for me, I really became associated with Jehovah's Witnesses almost from birth. My mother got baptized in 1972, so I was about four years old, five years old, right in there. And, and I want to unpack what this belief, this end game that Jehovah's Witnesses play did to my brain from the time I was young to the time I was an adult to the time I was an elder, literally regurgitating this garbage from a stage in a kingdom hall or at a convention. There was really primarily three things that aided me about this entire idea surrounding Armageddon. And I want to start with one. So I'm going to unpack three of these things and some of the things that really did to distort my belief, not only in this teaching or this doctrine, but in the entire faith, in Jehovah, in all of it. The first one I simply state as why me and how is this right? <laughs> my question. So going back as a kid, I always struggled with this concept. How in the world was I so lucky to have been raised among Jehovah's people from infancy? Why me? It didn't make any sense to me. Even in primary school, I questioned why I would survive Armageddon while I'd look around the classroom at my friends and realize that all of them were going to die. When all I was doing was just doing what my parents told me to do. That was it. And in this case, my parent, my mother, my single mother, who was a Jehovah's Witness and drug us to the kingdom hall and raised us in the environment. But even then, my brain went into overdrive. Why me? How did I get lucky? And that guy over there and that girl over there and the one I have a crush on and the one I play football with, why are they all going to die? just because they weren't lucky enough to grow up like I did or to be growing up like I am. I would question this. I would look around the room in quiet moments and literally contemplate this in my mind. It made no sense to me. I'd look around at all my buddies, all the other kids, and this went on even into the teenage years, and I'd always wonder why I got lucky. I grew up in Northern California in really a melting pot in the Marin County area, just north of San Francisco. And in the late 70s, it was so diverse where I grew up. And it was awesome. I can't even tell you how amazing it was. But I had friends from Iran. I had lots of friends from Mexico. I had African-American friends. I had friends from really all walks of life. We were all, a lot of times, or in many cases, many of us were poor 
and grew up on the same streets. So we rode bikes together. We did all of this stuff. And yet I would find myself thinking at that young age, and we're talking grade school, junior high school, how is it I was born into the one true religion in the entire universe and all of my buddies were born into Satan's religions? Why why did I get lucky? And I'd love to hear if I'm the only one that ever thought this, if you're around my age. Like I would seriously contemplate how bizarre that was, how that was. And I'll tell you, you're getting a a peek inside the very crowded world that lives inside my head. And yes, I have ADHD, I'm OCD, and we'll get into that in another time. But, But these are the kind of things that would bounce around in my head in quiet moments. And I also really, really spun out on why would a loving God kill a baby in Nepal who's never even heard of Jehovah's Witnesses or never heard of Jehovah? How did that? It just never made sense to me. What was it going to take? Why were they in that situation? Why was I lucky and they weren't? I grew up in California in the U.S. He grows up in Nepal. He's dead. It, it was the same line of thinking that I would spin out on in the Bible stories book. And if you're younger, uh, take a look at the Bible stories book, yellow, really bad illustrations, horrifying illustrations. It's going to be a subject for all the show. But the Bible stories book had this amazing uh, two-page illustration of Noah's Ark. And I remember as a kid, much in line with Armageddon and the end game, because you learn it at a young age when you're in Jehovah's Witnesses, and Noah's Ark, which they consistently and constantly compare Armageddon to, I, I would look at those illustrations of Noah's Ark and think, but why is Jehovah drowning babies? Why is Jehovah drowning puppies? Did they know anything about Noah? Did they know anything about Jehovah? Do they know anything about arks? Or do they know anything outside of food and being loved? Do you know how disastrous and awful that is for a kid to even be in that kind of think space? But I was. And it's not something that goes away as a Jehovah's Witness because, again, the end game is Armageddon. And Armageddon, they very consistently compare to Noah's day. They, of course, quote Jesus talking about the Son of Man coming just as a a thief in the night, much like they did in Noah's day. The waters came. Everybody got in the ark. Most people died and drowned. And they've got some fantastic 1970s illustrations of babies drowning. (laughs) And they're handing this book to kids at the district convention. As you get older, they have entire talks and symposiums on the comparison of Armageddon to Noah's day. And I've always wondered how Noah got around to having meaningful conversations with every human being on earth. I was thinking this as a kid. And then, of course, babies are being born every minute, at, at least we can assume. How did Noah handle those conversations all over the globe in his 100 years of preaching. I mean, uh, God gave him at least 120 years to gather every animal across the face of the earth on foot, keep them alive, fed and everything as they got back to the ark. He gave him at least 120 for that, but only 100 to save the people. So babies got to be drowned, as did puppies and all sorts of other people. So it, it was this kind of thinking surrounding Armageddon that started for me young. Why did I get lucky? Why 
was I born into a spot? Whereas some kid my age on the other side of the earth who doesn't have access to Jehovah's Witness or a kingdom hall or a watchtower, any of these things, why does he get doomed to death? It was always a troubling thing for me. And it was probably probably the big one because in terms of the way my mind thinks and the way my mind thought even back then, I really defer to children. I love kids. I loved being a kid. And I always related all of the mayhem and destruction and genocide and illustrations and talks and prophecies, all of this awful stuff to why do kids have to go through that? What did they do? So kids were always foremost to me. As I looked at these books or I heard these talks at a young age about Jehovah's Witness Endgame, Armageddon, and the smaller, anti-typical, you'll recognize that phrase if you've been around a while, example of Noah's Ark. I just wonder, why is Jehovah drowning them? Why is Jehovah raining fireballs down on them? I remember specifically, how, how about anybody else wonder, uh, how about the little girl in the picture of the Paradise Lost to Paradise Regained book, which was popular in the 70s, kind of a peach colored book. And there's a picture of her in the book and she's falling into a crack in the earth due to an earthquake at Armageddon. And she's reaching out, trying to grab her little doll. Oh, and her dog is going down right beside her, down to destruction. She looks like she's maybe four. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that Jehovah's Witnesses endgame were constantly jamming down everyone's throat. They continue to do it today, but it was particularly bad during these time periods. And it, it, one of the things about Armageddon and the idea that only Jehovah's Witnesses are going to survive that always bothered me, I guess I've already said it, is the whole idea that innocent children get lumped in with that. Now, here's the thing. They'll argue that. They'll argue that's not true. No, they'll do everything they can to comfort their minds, particularly those that are unstudied. But brace yourselves, folks. As you might imagine, I've come prepared to tell you the kids aren't safe from Jehovah. You remember 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love. Fear is all about punishment and God's not about that. Check out these quotes printed by the billions of pages that have been disseminated as inspired messages from Jesus Christ through his faithful and discreet slave regarding children and Armageddon, Jehovah's Witness Endgame. Reasoning from the Scriptures, pages 47 through 48, a book that mysteriously is no longer available. Quote, What will happen to young children at Armageddon? Well, the Bible does not directly answer that question, and we are not the judges. However, the Bible does show that God views the young children of true Christians as holy. It also reveals that in times past, when God destroyed the wicked, he likewise destroyed their little ones. <laughs> I can't even read this stuff. It also reveals that in times past, when God destroyed the wicked... He likewise destroyed their little ones. I mean, why not? They had to deserve it, right? Reasoning from the scriptures, pages 47 and 48. Go find that book if you still got one on your shelf, folks. Watchtower of 1950, November 15th, page 463. Again, this is kids in Armageddon, folks. Real cheery subject. 
Children are affected by the course of their parents, and parents are warned that their iniquity is visited on their offspring unto the third and fourth generation. Parents are commanded to instruct their children in God's way. And if in these last days parents refuse to heed the divine instruction and warning that bring destruction upon themselves and their small children at Armageddon, according to justice, God can leave such children dead. For as Ezekiel showed, all die in their iniquity. End quote. Kids, Armageddon, so what? Your parents were bad. And eh, tough break. You weren't born in the right spot, or maybe your children, your parents weren't good enough. God can leave you dead, according to the Watchtower, inspired, of course, by the faithfulness great slave. Watchtower, 1968, February 1st, pages 83 and 84. Quote, by all the evidence, this system of things is hastening to its final confrontation with the God of justice at Armageddon. Parents and children who fail to gain the mark on their foreheads that is, an adequate appreciation of God's moral standard, are sure to suffer. Parents will be held accountable for their children, and children will suffer for the failure of their parents. First <laughs> John 4.18, be damned. That Bible thing is just a big mess compared to the great wisdom of the faithful and discreet slave of Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there's going to be millions and millions of children killed at Armageddon because, you know, either their parents weren't good or the kids didn't appreciate the Watchtower Society enough, or maybe they didn't like the faithful and discreet slave, or maybe they just simply had some questions about the gate guys in New York. Like, I don't know, who gave them the right? <laughs> it's absolute insanity and it's in print. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, uh, Pimo, listening. If you're someone who's just exploring this, please go read this stuff. It's in your literature. It's it's unbelievable that this is literally the stance they will take against children. And it was probably the number one reason, as I mentioned, why me and why are children getting killed that drove me absolutely insane in my entire time with Jehovah's Witnesses. So, when a Jehovah's Witness lies to you that Jehovah reads hearts, it's okay. Other non-J-dubs will be saved. Just know he didn't read the hearts of kids in Noah's day. Don't worry, that never really happened. It's just a story. <laughs> and they openly say he won't do it again during his earthwide genocidal rampage. <laughs> just know that it's a lie. It's in print, and I gave you just a few of the examples. I want to move on to the second thing that really troubled me in this belief on Armageddon and that only Jehovah's Witnesses would be saved. And I think that this tends to happen to people with certain kinds of personalities. That's my guess. I know my personality. I, I like people. I'm basically introverted. I like people. And I'm always concerned. And it's pretty obvious kids are a soft spot for me. But everyone's a kid in my brain. So the second one was always very troubling to me. And it literally is interwoven in almost every meeting, every teaching, because again, this is the end game. This is the reason Jehovah's Witnesses exist. This is the reason Jesus chose them. It's the reason he's organized them and rallied them and given them billions and billions of dollars, apparently. And that's to save everybody else 
from Armageddon. Even though, you know, he's going to say, you can see where this is going. Reason number two. Why in the hell would anyone be excited about a mass genocide? (laughs) Troubled me since I was a young man. I guess it goes a little bit to my first reason I just concluded with. But why the excitement of mass destruction? It was incredible to me and troubled me to see the glee, the excitement of grown adults that massive destruction was coming for billions of people. Even as an adult and an elder, I gave a zillion public talks, including the special talk, which was typically in my time, it was after the memorial. I've been told it's now before the memorial. But that that talk for many years seemed to center around prophecies surrounding Armageddon because, see, they get you to memorial and, oh, Jesus, and he died for all of us. And then they wrap you up and try to close the deal a week or two later with a special talk by saying, and by the way, if you don't listen, some birds and worms are going to eat your guts out (laughs) at Armageddon. And I'm not kidding. That's exactly how those talks went. I know because I gave them and I still have the outlines. Talks that highlighted how birds were going to eat people's guts and worms would finish the job. Now imagine you're somebody new who came to Memorial and then they try to get you back for the special talk a week or two later in the past. Imagine sitting there in that kingdom hall and you're hearing this type of encouragement (laughs) from the, again, the faithful and discreet slave, which is now eight guys in upstate New York. Just so encouraging. And it didn't stop there. You're literally passing each day as a Jehovah's Witness, waiting for this to happen. The end is coming. We're living in the last days of the last days of the last days, according to Stephen Lett. And you wait in eager anticipation to see the rest of humanity wiped out. Bodies strewn all over the streets, animals feeding on their guts. And if you think I'm exaggerating, people... They've got illustrations. They've got entire watchtower studies on this. This is all absolutely provable. Again, read your own literature. It would amaze me as people would go in field service and they'd laugh about someone that they just talked to at the door that didn't want to listen, that told us to get off the porch. They'd just laugh and and make some passe comment. Well, you know, dead at Armageddon. They made their choice. Game over. Game over. As if the person behind that door, you know, deserved that. They know nothing about that person. I knew nothing about those people. Could have been undergoing terrible, heart-wrenching problems, stress, anxiety, depression, financial problems, lost a loved one. Didn't matter. Didn't listen to us. Dead at Armageddon. Let's go get a Starbucks. (laughs) And that's literally what it was. Another favorite pastime in the miserable door-to-door work, which is seems to be almost dying out now. Again, I've been out for 12, 13 years. It's all carts. You don't have to teach much. You stand there and hand out a book. But one of the things, especially as teenagers, we would do in you know, priming ourselves for the genocide was you know, we'd, we'd go through service and we'd talk about the houses that we wanted and the cars we would drive when all these people were dead after the fireball hit them. And if you think I'm kidding, I, I'd love to hear from other people around my age or even younger that, is this still going on? Because this literally was the toxic culture that was created in this environment. Jehovah's Witness Endgame 
is sitting around waiting for the end, waiting for everybody to get killed, putting in, and I don't want to say this for everybody because there's people who sacrifice, particularly women that pioneer and are missionaries that sacrifice families and marriage and babies and to give 90, it was 90 hours a month, a hundred hours a month in special pioneer service or work at Bethel. They really had, their heart was into it, but the vast majority are mailing it in, in the field service, all recognizing, or at least living in the assumption that anybody that doesn't accept their message is dead. They're going to get hit by a fireball. There's a, there's fireballs that got their name on it. Earth's going to open and swallow them up. And then animals are going to eat their guts. It's if it wasn't so absurd and you can sense the sarcasm, it would be tragic, especially when you consider again, Jehovah's witnesses are teaching children this at a young age and then sending them out to quote unquote, save their neighbors. So this end game and this idea of end game, which ends in genocide is a foundation piece of Jehovah's witnesses. And the, the second thing that always bothered me personally was just to see the excitement or even something as mundane as the anticipation of everyone, including babies, kids, getting killed because they didn't listen to what I had to say or what a witness had to say is gut-wrenching. And it's just unbelievable when you again consider that 1 John 4.18 says, there's no fear in love. Fear is a form of punishment, and that's not God. How that message gets lost is fascinating. And part of why we're doing Surviving Paradise is just to unpack how a message from an ancient book can turn itself into a publishing empire that becomes a, a life-altering cult. And that's exactly what it is. So number two for me was just that sickening excitement or anticipation for a genocide that frankly, folks, is not coming. But the idea that you believe it is, is disturbing to no end. The third thing that really got me in this belief about Armageddon and only witnesses survive is the numbers. And anybody who knows me and has known me for years knows I hate math. It sucks. I'm not a math person. I am not necessarily analytically minded per se. I don't want to work on spreadsheets and pivot tables. I'm more into the nuance, the gray, the humanity. But the third thing wasn't something I could escape. Not logically. It's a numbers game. And I really wondered, why can't Jehovah add? <laughs> like, isn't he the, you know, creator of E equals MC squared, DNA, the universe, the solar system, planets rotating on their axis? Why can't he add? What's he need, what's he need me to do that for? <laughs> what's he need eight guys in upstate New York to do that for? How does Jehovah expect this idea that, that culminates in an endgame destruction? How does he expect any of that to work? At the time of this recording, there are just under 8 billion people on this earth. Just under 8 billion. Let me read you a quote. The Watchtower of 1993, October 1st, page 19. Quote, 
There are billions of people who do not know Jehovah. Many of them in ignorance practice things that God's word shows to be wicked. If they persist in this course, they will be among those who perish during the great tribulation. They openly admit like a sticker on a carton of milk with a best if used by date or an expiration date that there are billions of people who don't know Jehovah, who've never heard the name. And if they don't make a change, any given second, at the even as the time of the recording of this podcast, Armageddon strikes and they're all dead. Why? Yeah, they didn't know him. <laughs> there's 8 billion people. For the record, there's somewhere around, I believe they're claiming 7 to 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses now. Do you want to do the math on that? 8 billion. And they're destroyed just because, well, according to the Washington 93, October 1st, Eh, they don't know Jehovah and they just never got a shot. Isn't that a drag? <laughs> Think about that in light of first John four eighteen again, there's no fear in love. Okay. So I want to explore this thing with numbers because I spent far too many nights of my life staring out windows or at ceilings, laying in bed, thinking about this, but I'm just going to use an example. Let's just take the year I started to wake up and lead Jehovah's Witnesses. I left forever in 2009, but about 2007 is when I really went into deep study mode. I traveled all over the earth. I visited grave sites. I examined official documents, court documents, last wills and testaments, you name it. It was very, very important for me to understand what I was a part of. But let's take that that wake-up year, as we'll call it, a 2007. In that year there was an estimated 6.9 million Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm just going to say it as a disclaimer, that's generous because that's all based on time slips. <laughs> for those of us old enough to remember that, that's people just reporting that they went out in field service for at least an hour a month. So they get counted as a quote unquote publisher, as if that matters. Again, one of those weird things not taught in the Bible that, yeah, we just have to accept, right? 6.9 million Jehovah's Witnesses, and I think that's generous. But at the same time in 2007, the Earth's population was 6.6 billion. So, not a math whiz here, but that's roughly about one Jehovah's Witness for every 957 non-Jehovah's Witnesses. And I probably screwed up that math. Don't care. If anything, it could just get worse. I would question any Jehovah's Witness if they are running, you know, 957 Bible studies. <laughs> Not likely. There are billions of people on this planet that have no shot of ever learning about Jehovah's Witnesses. So the question is, who is it that's making sure every single soul on this planet gets the message before Jehovah's Witness Endgame Armageddon hits? And everybody's dead. <laughs> Is there someone in charge of making sure that happens? Because it isn't the eight guys in upstate New York who apparently Jesus thought was a, more than effective enough to get this message about impending genocide out. <laughs> it's not working so well, as you can say from the basic, see from the basic math. So is it can God come up with something better than you know, your standard Jehovah's Witness lifestyle, which is it's Saturday morning. 
Um, I go out and service for an hour. Oh, I've been knocking on empty houses for an hour, not teaching anyone anything. It's time to go to Starbucks. Let's have a break. Let's just pretend it's 30 minutes. And then let's go back out and service for another 30 minutes and count two hours of field service. Now, never mind that the emotion and what should be driving the heartbeat in their chest is saving every single life. Never mind that. Even if they wanted to do that, they never reach these people. There are 8 billion people on this planet. There are 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses, and that's generous. There's not 8 million. That's just time slips. Pioneers, missionaries, all the special titles they give to folks who go out and do 90 hours a month knocking on doors. None of that would make it remotely possible to get this message to every single solitary man, woman, and child. Does that make sense? You're going to drop mass genocide on the planet, but eh, some of the folks just aren't going to get the message. Sorry, tough break. Kind of resembles that Noah story. You know, old guy, 600 plus years old. He's got 100 years to get the message out. You know, doesn't have an airplane. No internet or anything. Just got to make sure he talks to everybody before that, you know, water comes and drowns them all. Jehovah's Witnesses and their end game is based on pathetically faulty math. It's just based on absolute insanity to think that a God of love is going to leave this all up to chance. Like, I, you know, I hope somebody gets out there and, you know, gets into Nepal or, or Turkey. It's not difficult to see that to be a Christian, just a Christian faith of which there's 13,000 varieties, much less a Jehovah's Witness, essentially comes down to where you were born. (laughs) Being a witness is predominantly contingent on where you're born. And billions of people will never hear the name Jehovah. They'll never hear the name Jesus. Billions. They live within countries like Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, India, Mali, Nepal, Niger, Pakistan, Thailand, Turkey. That's about 3 billion people right there, nearly half the world's population. Yet the 2006 Watchtower Service Report showed that combined, these have less, those countries I just reeled off, have less than 40,000 witnesses, which means not even one For every 70,000 people, the math doesn't work, folks. And stripping apart or stripping away the math, how about the love? A God of love is just going to make sure that 3 billion people, or not arranged to be sure, rather, that 3 billion people don't get this message that only Jehovah's Witnesses are going to be saved at Armageddon? Imagine being born in Pakistan or Afghanistan. Women aren't even allowed to read, much less learn about the the God named Jehovah. So it just makes you wonder, what is what is Jehovah doing? What is Jesus worried? Is he concerned about this before genocide hits? To take it a step further, a 2001 Eris survey shows that 84% of American adults retain the one religion they were taught as a child for life. 
of the 16% that leave, the largest group leave religion totally and become atheists or maybe agnostics. But don't let all this logic get in the way. Just obey the faithful and discreet slave. Absolute insanity. So those were the three things that really, really turned in my head. And I, being candid, it wasn't just as a child of Jehovah's Witnesses. It was also as an elder. As I got up there and I taught this nonsense to, you know, at a, a common circuit assembly, there'd be over a thousand people in the audience giving these kinds of emotions and teachings to everyone in that audience, including children. The Jehovah's Witness endgame is simple. There's going to be a mass genocide, and if you're not with us, you're against us, you're dead. Animals are going to eat your guts, and it would be read right from the stage. But more on numbers, before I leave this idea of numbers, uh, because I'm not a numbers guy. I, I, I like the nuance. I like the gray. So, so me as a kid, I can tell you was this. How exactly, I, mean, I must have asked this to so many people, how exactly are we going to clean up billions of dead bodies? <laughs> billions of them. And then as I get older, I wonder, is that going to get my khakis dirty? <laughs> do I still have to wear a tie? <laughs> oh my God, even worse, do I still need to shave for this? <laughs> Will my panda bear help me? I mean, you can see where the absurdity comes in at this point. You're just asking questions that you can't even begin to wrap your head around from the time you're a child to you're an adult. You know, the official answer just before we move off that is that birds and animals will be eating over 8 billion dead bodies. Now, how is that for paradise, huh? You're walking through a beautiful meadow. Of course, you're in your khakis. Oh, or you, or you sisters, you've got that finely pressed dress on. And thunk, I trip over a dead baby corpse being tossed around by a pack of hungry animals. But wait, that's a problem too, because didn't they say that animals would then become herbivores and they'd just be eating plants too? No more carnivores. <laughs> I mean, mm, paradise. I got questions. <laughs> I got questions at this age, after being an elder, after being a ministerial servant after pioneering, all of those things. I still got basic questions that can't be answered. They can't be answered because they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. Jehovah's Witnesses will try to wordsmith or play Jedi mind tricks when confronted with that question. Will only JW survive Armageddon? And, and here's two examples. I want to give you two examples of how the faithful and discreet slave, read eight guys in upstate New York. Note it, see what you can pick up here, how they word this. Will only JW survive Armageddon? From the 2002 book, Jehovah's Witnesses, Who Are They? What Do They Believe? Page 29. Quote, do they believe they are the only ones who will be saved? No. Millions that have lived in centuries past and who were not Jehovah's Witnesses will come back in a resurrection and they'll have an opportunity for life. Many now living may take a stand for truth and righteousness before the great tribulation and they will gain salvation. Folks, that doesn't take rocket science to say, yeah, yeah you have to become a Jehovah's Witness. 
Even if you're resurrected, you got to become a Jehovah's Witness. And oh, by the way, as for those people alive right now, that fireball still has their name on it unless they mm, become a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> it's insane. One more as we close out this. Watchtower 1970, April 15th, page 247. Quote, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that many will be saved who are not now Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> I gotta read it again. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that many will be saved who are not now Jehovah's Witnesses. But with regard to the coming Great Tribulation and being saved through that conflict, the Bible shows that people must now turn to God and take their stand on his side if they wish protection from him. Jesus said, here we go, just as the days of Noah were, so the presence of the Son of Man will be. They took no note until the flood came and swept them all the way, drowning babies and puppies. Nope, that's mine. So the presence of the Son of Man will be. Noah and his family, however, were saved through the flood because they served Jehovah God. All the others were destroyed. Jesus said that this is what will happen at the coming great tribulation and that this Jehovah's Witnesses believe. <laughs> There's, the wordsmithing is gold. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that many will be saved who are not now at the time of reading this paragraph, Jehovah's Witnesses, but you better become one because by the end of that quote, eh, Jesus said it's like Noah's day. You got to be one of us or you're dead. You're dead. So they will try everything in their power through their literature, their wordsmithing, and even urban myth, as I mentioned, to kind of just, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Don't don't consider the fact that, yeah, our entire end game, everything we're talking about is that you're dead. And you better listen to me. Because if you don't listen to me and become like me, you're dead. I always keep, I always like to encourage rather that Anybody listening to this, keep it simple. It goes something like this to a Jehovah's Witness when they're trying to deflect the fact that they believe only they will live. I, I like to, to ask them, look, if you can still be from any walk of life, or maybe you're just a baby <laughs> or just a little kid in Pakistan riding a camel, if you could be from those walks of life and still survive Armageddon, what the hell are you doing? What is the point of your religion? Why do you preach? Why are you building another new fancy complex in upstate New York? Why are you printing billions of pages of literature? Why are you building kingdom halls? Why are the guys shaving their faces and the women being forced to wear dresses and maybe a napkin on their head if they want to teach somebody something. <laughs> Seriously, if it doesn't matter, which you can clearly say, see that it does matter, they've stated it in billions of places, but if you can be from any walk of life or a baby or a kid in Pakistan, why are you at my door? Why are you here? Because the Jehovah's Witness endgame is a very simple one to understand from their perspective. In conclusion, it's summed up nicely in their own words. The Watchtower of 2007, December 15th, page 14. Quote, 
but Jehovah's servants already belong to the only organization that will survive the end of this wicked system of things. So there you have it. When you ask a Jehovah's Witness if they are the only ones that are going to survive Armageddon and they sheepishly try to divert your attention somewhere else or say, well, God reads hearts, just know they're lying. In a best case scenario, they're like many Jehovah's Witnesses and haven't studied their own literature or read their own Bibles. So they, they're just repeating what they heard someone say in a kingdom hall or an urban myth or from their time as a child out in the field service car group. They just repeat what they hear. They haven't studied it. They haven't looked at what they've said. But now you know. Jehovah's Witnesses' endgame is Armageddon. It's a mass genocide across the entire planet at the hands of Jesus and uh, the faithful and discreet slave. Some of the men and women that have uh, been part of Jehovah's Witnesses that are now in heaven and including the eight guys in upstate New York. Some of the guys you see on the JW Broadcasting, yep, they're going to be judging you and me and they're going to have fireballs reserved for babies, people in countries that never heard of them <laughs> and their message. So to conclude, Jehovah's Witnesses, their message is simple. You either listen to them and you promise your loyalty to those eight guys in upstate New York or God is a fireball with your name on it. Thank you for listening to this week at Surviving Paradise. I appreciate everybody for the kind messages and the stuff that you are shooting to me. This was kind of an all over the board one. Just some thoughts that I had throughout this last week. I'm not even sure what triggered them. But I've always been really annoyed with the idea that these folks just wreck their lives and spend their lives out there trying to get us all to believe what they believe or we're going to die. But then when they say they're only going to die, they say, well, maybe not necessarily. No, that's what they believe. So folks, thanks for joining me this week on Surviving Paradise podcast. Please like and subscribe. You can find us on all the major networks and on YouTube where I'm uploading the audio here. I appreciate all the comments. It's been enjoyable to get to meet some new folks and to, to re reconnect with people that I haven't talked to in years that have also left the Jehovah's Witness cult. Please keep it coming. Keep those comments coming. We'll come up with another fantastic topic as I am really, truly lining up some guests for life stories and some laughs, maybe some cries in coming weeks. But in the interim, when I get a random thought, we're going to pop on and we're going to drop an episode. So I thank you again. 